Hey, turn with me over to Acts chapter uh, 19, or should I say 15, Mark? Or should I say 15? It's a joke between Mark and I. Anyway, uh, 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 no, we're in 19, and uh, actually the end of 18. And uh, I just want to say something. Boy, the Lord worked so mightily this week, and always does. But uh, hey, we talked last week about the word that Paul uh, it's described of Paul as he went into the synagogue. It says that he reasoned in the synagogue and there was a dialogue. There wasn't just a preaching in the synagogue. That's good too. But dialoguing is great. Taking questions, answering questions. And we said, why don't you do this? Why don't you call somebody or email somebody or text somebody who's not like you, who doesn't think like you, maybe he's not... Uh, uh, surrender their life to Christ like you and invite them to lunch. And we've had several people do that. We've had people back there, a couple people. I see them back there. And uh, you, at least six or seven people have told me that they've gone ahead and, and done that. And then somebody else in our fellowship uh, who sort of had uh, a miserable time at work uh, and uh, uh, this week went in and declared that he's been baptized and uh, uh, that he's a follower of Christ inside his work to the boss and uh, to all kinds of people. And uh, he was telling us uh, how his heart was settled in this and that it gave him even a, a great, um, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, attitude at work. And uh, the Lord just really buffeted him and blessed him this week. And uh, so I'm thanking God that He's taking the word of God, his word, by the Holy Spirit and uh, speaking it into your lives. And the Lord, it's coming out in uh, making a difference at the places where you are. That's your Judea, Jerusalem. And so uh, that's being the book of Acts. It's the Holy Spirit-led book of Acts. And so we're now getting to the third missionary journey. That's where we are, and it actually takes place in the end of chapter 18 in verse 23. And I'm going to ask Mark or uh, Grace back there if they can put up uh, the map, the map of the uh, ancient world as we, and you can just keep that up there if you're able, but uh, and it, we're, we're starting here. After he, who's he? Paul. After Paul had spent some time there, where? Ephesus. We're going to be talking a lot today about Ephesus. You see it down here. This is what is called in the ancient world Southern Asia. It's not the Asia we think about, but that's what they called it, and it's in the Turkey areas and all that sort of thing. So there's Ephesus, and Paul had a heart for Ephesus. We're going to find out that he spent three years and three months in this city. But first, he goes to Ephesus on his way back to Jerusalem, because uh, he's landed at Caesarea, gone up, greeted the church, went down to Antioch. Uh, he'd already been, in verse 21, to Ephesus. But after he'd spent some time there, where? At the church in Antioch. You all with me? Over here. Antioch, in, in the area, you know, over there in Syria area. He spent some time there, and uh, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia. And those are, you can see them if you follow the regions there, Galatia, Phrygia, or however you say it. I can't say it. And he's headed towards Ephesus. Why is he headed toward Ephesus? Well, Paul is a Holy Spirit-led, driven 
man. And he knows that this is another important city. This is a very strategic city in the ancient world. And so Paul knows, listen, this thing, if you get and uh, reach the people in the cities, they're going to go out and make disciples themselves. Paul can't do it all himself. So he knows that if he does this, and he's been to several cities, hasn't he? He's been to Philippi and Thessalonica and down to Corinth, some of the major cities, but now Ephesus. And what was Ephesus like? Well, it was surrounded on a few sides by mountains, but it was a port city and it had a major river. And it was very important and very strategic in that area. Ephesus, you see the Aegean Sea there. And uh, it, uh, what was it like? It was, uh, you know, uh, had a big banking center. And actually the banking center, the commerce center, the, the, the big banking area of the world, where was it located? Really strange. It was located in the uh, Temple of Diana. So they were very um, uh, conscious of and devoted to and worshipped uh, this one Diana. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. You ever heard of the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world? Well, this was one of them, the Temple of Diana. And the actual banking center was in that temple. And so commerce and trade and, of course, all the things that come with uh, worshipping false gods and pagan gods. Uh, in fact... A very interesting story uh, around uh, earlier uh, from the time of Paul, there was actually a massive meteorite that hit down in Ephesus, and they thought it was a sign from God. It was a big black rock, whatever, a meteorite, and they fashioned it into a, uh, 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 an idol a vision of what Diana looked like. And uh, uh, she was supposed to be the god of uh, nurturing and uh, life and fertility. So you can imagine, maybe, but don't imagine, what the uh, uh, idol looked like. And so that. And so they thought that was a sign from God that Diana was real and big. And so in that way, a lot of different sorcery and witchcraft and incantations and weird spells and things uh, was in and around the city. I mean, you know, in today's church marketing studies, you'd look at Ephesus and you'd go, well, big city, but really weird and dark. Let's go somewhere else. But Paul didn't. He knew the strategy of going there. And so the Lord had put it on his heart uh, to do that. But before he gets to Ephesus, I want you to check something out. It's always this way. He goes back to the churches that he's been to already. These ones here, you know, Derby, etc., etc. He goes through there, and the Bible tells us in verse 23 that he strengthened all the disciples. Paul and his team were great at discipleship, not just conversion. They were good evangelists, but they were good at discipleship. And they didn't leave people alone. They didn't just pat them on the head and say, good luck with your church. No, they went back and took care of them. And it was uh, uh, people who were strengthening people in the Lord. That's what they were doing. In fact, in 2 Timothy 2, we see in verse 2, uh, Paul's strategy for discipleship. Here it comes. It's really complex. He sought out and found men who he could teach to teach the word of God. 
You can look it up there. Who that he could entrust the word of God to so that they could go out into their corners of the world, wherever it was, and they could start home churches and teach and do that sort of thing. I mean, Paul couldn't do the things he did all by himself. He's not a superhero. He wasn't flying around the sky. He wasn't transporting places. He needed others like we all need others. And uh, that's what he did. And so they would go and they would strengthen all the disciples. By the way, there's, uh, admin, or there's encouragements for ladies in the scriptures about how to make disciples. Uh, older ladies, no offense, are to talk to the younger ladies and show them how to live and to uh, uh, be a disciple. And there's several places in the scriptures that talk about that. So what we say is, shouldn't you be being discipled by somebody? Do you have a Paul in your life? If you do, wonderful, or a Paulette. Uh, but, yeah, anyway. But, but also, who are you discipling? I mean, intentionally, being with people, having coffee with them, uh, taking them with you, going with them to serve and to love and doing the things of the Lord and going and praising together. Who is that? And that's Paul's model and the model of the old, or excuse me, of uh, the old church, which, by the way, is our church. I mean, it's the same. So that's what they do. They strengthen, or he, he makes sure that all the churches get strengthened. But it's not the church, like the building, you see. It's not the committees. It's not the money. He pours his time into people. And that's what's important. I want you to know that. What's important are the people. If you're doing ministry and you're getting all your check marks out and you're marking things off and you're doing, that's good. You need to be organized. Yes. But if you're forgetting the people, you're forgetting what it's all about. And that's what the Lord's about. So watch this. Now, a certain Jew named Apollos, here he comes sort of out of nowhere, born at Alexandria. Where's Alexandria? Alexandria is in Egypt, down here. He's born in Alexandria. Uh, he's an eloquent man, an eloquent man. This man knows how to speak. He knows how to turn a phrase. He's a good orator. He can do things, uh, you know, with his speech that are wonderful and great. And he's mighty in the scriptures. And he goes to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He'd been instructed in the way of the Lord. Wouldn't you love to be mighty in the scriptures? Wouldn't you love to be mighty in the scriptures? Well, you know what it takes. First of all, you know what you should do is you should take your phone and throw it in the river. That's the first thing. If you think that you're reading your Bible on your phone, well, good luck with that because you're also reading Facebook for two hours and Twitter for two hours and all these sorts of things. But whatever, you, you, you got to do what you got to do. But this is what it takes. It takes minute or day by day, just little by little in the scriptures. Why? Why are you in the scriptures? So you can say, oh, I'm in the scriptures. I'm so knowledgeable. No. So you can find and commune with the Lord of heaven or with the God of heaven and with Jesus and by the Holy Spirit. That's why you're in the scriptures day by day. Wouldn't you like to be, it be said of you that you're mighty in the scriptures? And oh, by the way, it's not just for Apollos or the pastor or somebody else. The Bible calls each one of us as surrendered saints full of the Holy Spirit, to be great dividers of the word. That's what the scriptures say. 
And how I think of that is, I don't know why, my mind's weird. I think you should be real nimble in the word. Not that you have to know everything, but that you can get around and, uh, uh, in, the, in the scriptures and know where to find things and rely upon the Holy Spirit. And how do you do it? It's just a little bit, day by day. You don't get it all in one week. It's just a lifestyle of staying in the scriptures. And that's what apparently Apollos did. He was mighty in the scriptures and praise the Lord, he came to Ephesus. And this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. That word in the Greek or that phrase in the Greek, I don't know Greek. I just know how to look it up. That's all. Just go on Blue Letter Bible. You can look it up. We all can look it up. That word in the Greek is boiled over. He's boiling over with the word of God. Wouldn't you want to be like that? Yes, and you are like that. You're eating up the scriptures. You're finding Jesus in the scriptures. And that's what Apollo says. He's boiled. He's boiling in spirit. I mean, he's fervent. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord. There it is twice. He's instructed in the way of the Lord, and he uh, is taught accurately the things of the Lord, though... He knew only the baptism of John. Now, this is important for you as a Bible student to know. John taught a baptism of repentance. His baptism that he performed out in the Jordan was preparatory. Do you get that? He was preparing people in repentance. What's repentance? It's a change of mind about who you are in terms of whether, or, oh, I'm a good little boy. Well, the Bible says that you're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. It changes your mind. You, you recognize and agree with God that you're a sinner and want to turn and walk toward God. And John's baptism, that's John the Baptist, Jesus' relative, his was preparatory. They were preparing for the way of the Lord. And he was giving off to Jesus who was to baptize us, watch, with the Spirit and with fire. That's what the Bible tells us. So he does this and he... Uh, only knows the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. How could, he have, uh, uh, how could he have an audience or be able to stand up and speak at the synagogue? Because synagogues were teaching areas or teaching structures. And what would happen was they would have sort of an order of worship. And if they recognized somebody that attended who was uh, smart, eloquent, new things. They would invite them to speak. And apparently Apollos in Ephesus at the synagogue was invited to speak. And so he speaks boldly. How does he speak boldly? Well, I believe, now look, there's differences of opinion here. Okay, right here, there's difference of opinion. Because Apollos didn't have the full story, is Apollos saved or not? Now there's people on this side of the aisle and on this side of the aisle. I personally believe, but I want you to be a Berean and check it out for yourself. I personally believe Apollos here is saved. He's boiling over. It's sort of the same word or the same phrasing as uh, the, uh, uh, those people on the road to Emmaus when Jesus opened the scriptures and it said their hearts burned within them. Uh, he talks about being instructed in the way of the Lord and the things of the Lord. And it seems to me, this one gets me. This is the reason I think he saved, or one of the reasons. Down here in verse 27, he greatly helped those who had believed. How? 
through grace. God gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. And so for me, that's what seals it. But I understand there's other uh, uh, differences of opinion. Nevertheless, this one, Apollos, comes on the scene. And he begins to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla, who are they? They're a married couple who are friends with Paul. And they've been sent ahead to Ephesus. How wonderful is this? In all ways, how wonderful is this? Aquila and Priscilla, they're sitting out in the audience. They're not like the ones who are just waiting to get the pastor. They say, oh, wow. It appears that he only knows the preparatory baptism of John the Baptist. And he doesn't understand, as they're listening to Apollos, he doesn't understand the full thing that Jesus has done or doing. And so here's what we're going to do. Let's have him over for coffee or tea. And let's explain to him in a nice way, in a wonderful way. I mean, what a ministry. And oh, by the way, don't miss. You know what Apollos might say, you would think? Who are these tent-making people who are coming to me? I'm from the great city of Alexandria where there's massive libraries and I've studied everything. That's what he could have said. And I've studied this issue and who are you to tell me what's right and what's wrong? None of that. There's this humble man and this beautiful couple ministering for the greater sake of the mission of God through Jesus Christ and they're all just wonderfully humble about it and gentle but truthful. You get it? What a beautiful picture here. And so they have him over for dinner or whatever they do, and they take him aside and explain to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, look, there's brethren, there's brothers, there's people who are part of the church exhorting the disciples to receive him. Do you see where Achaia is over there? Apparently he went over to Corinth. That's what we think from the other letters. He went over there and uh, exhorted the disciples to receive him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Now listen, folks, I'm going to put up on the screen again the same definition that I always put up on the screen because I love it. I want you to know what grace is. Most Christians in America think grace means I'll sin and God will just overlook it. Boy, he's so graceful. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. So if we're able to put that up there, listen to this. What does Paul mean by grace? This is a commentary on a, a Corinthians, but it's amazing. It's just one word which sums up all the blessings which come to our lives undeservedly from God through Jesus Christ our Lord. What is the channel through which God delivers grace to the Christian? Jesus. There it is. And primarily, the word grace describes a disposition. Oh, my. That's how important grace is because it's rooted in an attribute or the attribute, one of the attributes of God. And that is his character, which was revealed in his eternal, unchanging, and pardoning love. Wow, this is grace, a kindness, an overflowing disposition in the heart of God. But then God's dispositions are never passive or inactive. And grace, therefore, means that love that is expressed and displayed in action. Not just saying it all the time. You're doing it. 
So love knows no limit to its endurance, no end to its trust, no fading of its hope, and it can last, outlast anything. Okay, hit it. It's still more than this, praise the Lord. Grace is never fruitless. It's always fruitful, and therefore the greatest meaning of grace, ready? If you want this, by the way, you can just email us and I'll send it to you. Is all the blessedness. Oh, man, I, don't you want to just jump up and down when you read that? God gives grace to the humble but opposes the proud. This is all available to you. What? It's all the blessedness that comes and all the lovely and beautiful things that take place and happen in the life of a man or woman who has come to know the indwelling Christ and the very or nature of God dwelling in him by the Holy Spirit. Grace is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, self-control. Thus, Paul, in effect, says... And God is able to make all grace abound toward you in order that you might have all sufficiency in all things. You want to be a minister of the word? Well, look, you need some resources to do it. Where do you get it? Grace. What is grace? At its fundamental core, it's the disposition of God to bless you kindly and lovingly in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Jesus is given to you and you respond to that giving and now the Holy Spirit comes to live in your life and you have all of a sudden resource to do it. And it's all rooted in kindness. Are you catching that? Man, we think of God sometimes like standing there. Oh my goodness, he's getting out of line. Whack, right over the head. That's not our God. Our God's disposition is kindness. Is there wrath and justice? Of course but this is who God is. So what I want you to see is that he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. Here's what I would do. I would cut that little snippet out when I email it to you, stick it in your Bible. And every time you read the word grace, you just go back and read it. You go, oh, grace. Just Now you can you understand how Jesus can say, come to me and rest. Rest. You're going to get up and you're going to do things and be responsible and all that sort of thing. But I'm going to give you all the things you need, the resource, the love, the patience, the kindness that you'll ever need to live this life. That's what Jesus says. That's grace. Amazing. So Apollos was like that. He helped those who had believed through grace for him, for he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures, wow, is Apollos saved or not? Well, look at this, that Jesus is the Christ. Now, you get a little bit of Apollos. I just want to show you this real quick over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Oh, there we go. In verse 12, I believe. Oh, yeah. Go to verse 11. For it has been declared to me... Paul's writing over to the Corinthian church. Remember, Apollos goes to Corinth. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, some say I'm of Paul, or some say I'm of Apollos, or some say I am of Cephas or Peter, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Christ uh, uh, or was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? In other words, don't get hung up on who the preacher is. 
the one who's delivering the message. What's behind the message or who's behind the message is what's important. That's one place where you see this. How about turn over 1 Corinthians 3? Go there. He kind of continues this conversation. Watch this in verse 5. Who then is Paul? Paul's writing this, by the way. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers through whom you believed? As the Lord gave to each one. Look, I, Paul, planted, Apollos watered. But I want you to know this, folks. God gives or gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything. Paul's saying that about himself. I'm nothing. Nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Now, what I would say is this, just real quick, as an aside, when you go somewhere new, see, this is why I hate stupid phrases on church signs. Why would you put a stupid phrase on a church sign when you can put the word of God on a church sign? Because here's why. The word of God never comes back void. There's a little seed that's being planted. I just read it to you. There's a little seed that's being planted in people's heart when they read the word, no matter who they are. They can resist, they can be atheists, they can be satanic, whatever. God's putting a little seed in there, and it can be watered and planted. So why would we waste anything on not putting up Scripture and getting it into people's heads? When you go somewhere new, you go to your own Ephesus. What do you talk about? Oh, man, Jesus is so cool. He's so amazing. I'm so much the better for it. Well, yeah, okay, that's good, but here, why don't you try this? Why don't you just speak the scriptures to people? You can do it and they don't even know it. Uh, one time I was coaching a little kid's basketball team, little kids, and the kids were fighting. You ever had kids on your little kid's basketball team fight? No, only me? All right, well, I think Steve might have been with me. We were coaches together. And uh, they were fighting and I got them together and a dad, another dad was in there and I said, hey boys, you know what we should be doing? We should be edifying one another. And one of the dads looks up and he looks at me like, edify? The third grade boys, edify? They have no idea what edify is. And you know what he did after the meeting, after the huddle? He came and he said, are you a Christian? Edify. One little word from the scriptures, edify. See, and you can do it too. Anywhere you go, God is great. I mean, that's a psalm. Say that. Keep putting out the scriptures out there because you never know. It gets planted in people's hearts. Somebody else, maybe 10 years, 10 months, 10 days down the road, come and water it a little bit, and all of a sudden, boom, they become a Christian. And you'll see them in heaven and be so shocked and surprised, won't you? And so happy. And that's what I would say. Well, listen to this. Verse 19. Oh, verse 19, or chapter 19. We finally got there. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth... That Paul, so watch, Paul, uh, Paulus is up in Corinth, if we have that, yep. And uh, Paul, having passed through the upper regions, he's going, going along this little red path, he comes to Ephesus. He knows it's strategic. And finding some disciples, there were a few disciples there. He'd already been there a little bit. Paulus had been there a little bit. Some disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? All right, here we go. Here's another controversy in the scriptures. Were the disciples whom, 
Paul is talking to right here, were they Christians already or were they not? It makes a big difference because there's a camp of Christians and their brothers and sisters, and we love them immensely, and we have fellowship with them, and uh, they believe something. And what they believe is that when you become a Christian, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, and that's it. You're indwelt, you have all that you need, uh, not making fun, that's what they believe. As you can tell from the way I'm talking, I would be and we would be in the other camp, that you are indwelt at the time that you are uh, born again or surrender your life to Christ, but that there is a fullness of the Spirit that can come subsequently, doesn't always have to, but can come subsequently to salvation in which, uh, we talked about this at length, uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Remember, in John 16, 14, the Bible says he'll be with you and in you. In John, not Acts. Is Acts after or before John? It's after. In John 16, 14, listen, Jesus says, the Holy Spirit will come and be with you, paraclete, alongside, and then in you. For all who surrender their life to Jesus Christ, it's clear, we all believe this, that he indwells us. He comes and indwells us. But Jesus then told these same disciples in the Gospels, I want you to go over into Jerusalem and I want you to wait there for the power of the Holy Spirit. What? What do you mean, power of the Holy Spirit? I already have the Holy Spirit. Really? And we've talked about that at length. The empowering of the Holy Spirit, the endowment of power. Some people call it a second baptism, right? So there's a big controversy here. Was, were these disciples saved or not? If they were already saved, then there's a second blessing when he's asking this. If they weren't already saved then this is the initial indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I hope you're following me. Some of you are looking at me like, could you just go on? Some of us, though, it's very important. And here's why. Because you, you can go out and read about a myriad of people, including people in the camp that believe you're only indwelt with the Holy Spirit at the time of conversion. People like Jonathan Edwards. I mean, Jonathan Edwards had an experience, you can read about it, uh, that was post-salvation, where he had um, the Holy Spirit, I think he would say, come upon him or overwhelm him in a sense that, listen, he knew Jesus, watch, in greater and deeper ways than he did before this experience. You say, well, wait a minute, this is very charismatic and, and strange. Why are you talking about this? Because here's why I'm talking about this. I believe that the reason that the church largely in the United States is so, die, uh, so dead and dry and dusty and also doesn't feel the love of God, doesn't feel God's love and doesn't express God's love is because They've never, it, uh, the people in the churches have never surrendered to the Holy Spirit in this way. I don't know if you're getting this. I mean, many people describe their Christian life as like boring. Like, oh, uh, uh, I, I don't feel love. I don't, and, you th and I think to myself, well, that's because you've never been overwhelmed or had this Holy Spirit come upon you. Listen, 
You ever heard of Hudson Taylor? Raise your hand. Hudson Taylor. How about this one? You ever heard of Oswald Chambers? Raise your hand. Oswald Chambers. You ever heard of Amy Carmichael? Raise your hand. Amy Carmichael. Everybody. Um, the top lieutenant in the Salvation Army, his last name was Bergen. I forget his first name. Boom. And you could go on and on and on and on with people in the Christian world who've gone on and been successful ministers of the word and even had converts and running a successful ministry, but post-salvation have had an experience with the Lord that they describe always as a greater sense of God's presence. They always describe it almost to a T like this. I knew it all intellectually for years and years. Anybody ever felt like that? I knew it all intellectually, years and years, that God was with me. But until I was baptized with the Holy Spirit, I didn't really feel his presence. Or the love of God. You ever know that the Bible tells you that God loves you? And then you say, yeah, but I don't feel like he loves me. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. What else comes through it? It comes inexpressible joy. When Peter writes in 1 Peter 1.8 that through the Holy Spirit and by Christ, you are to have inexpressible joy. Does any of you go, hmm, whoa. <laughs> I don't know if that <laughs> describes my life. Inexpressible joy? And, and, and these people who have gone through this experience of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, all of them describe this joy that can't be contained, right? And so how do you have it? Well, in Luke 11, it says, ask for it. Ask for the Holy Spirit, and he'll be, it'll be given unto you. In fact, in Oswald Chambers' um, in Oswald Chambers' uh, testimony about this, he, in fact, in Oswald Chambers' tombstone in Cairo, Egypt, it's written, that verse, that all you need to do is ask the Holy Spirit, Luke 11, and he'll give it to you, right? Or ask, seek, knock. Holy Spirit, he'll give it to you. What? The Holy Spirit. His presence. And so why am I telling you this? Because I think it would be quite a shame if we went through our whole lives knowing the Lord, uh, uh, serving the Lord, and doing it in a dry, dusty way. What sets us apart from the whole world, Jesus says? It's the way that you love people. And quite frankly, people are hard to love. Well, how do you do it? It's the Holy Spirit, and it's no other way. It's the Holy Spirit. How in the world, Jesus, don't you read and go, come on. I'm to love people who hate me, revile me? My whole life I was taught to strike them back, get them back. You want me to love him? He's talking about me all day. He says, I'm a crazy Christian. I'm a nut. What do you mean you want me to love him? Oh, I need the Holy Spirit, you see. That's this. By, by the, or but, by the way, if you don't believe this person was saved or these disciples were saved, just hold on to your hat. They said to him, watch this in verse 2, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. That's why some people don't believe they're saved. But what do you ask for when you surrender your life to Christ? You ask for Jesus to forgive you. Anyway, and he said to them, into what were, then were they, or were you baptized? And they said, 
Well, we were baptized into John's baptism, John the Baptist. Same thing. It's the preparatory baptism. Then Paul said John baptized with the uh, baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, i got to ask you something. You tell me. If you get baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, yes or no? Of course you have. Now watch this in verse 6. So here you go. Even if you don't believe initially these people were saved and had never heard, it seems to me in verse 5 here these people got saved. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord. Watch this, verse 6. And when Paul had laid hands on them, here it comes, the Holy Spirit came upon them, just as in Acts chapters 1 and 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. You see it? And they speak in tongues and prophesy, which is just a manifestation of the Spirit. Do you have to speak in tongues and prophesy to be baptized in the Holy Spirit? The Bible answers it. If anybody tells you yes, it's untrue. The Bible says, no, you don't have to speak in tongues, uh, but there's other things that could happen for you. What is the baptism of the Holy Spirit in, uh, uh, in, in a way maybe that you're just saying move on, but maybe I can summarize? It's like this. You love the ocean, and you come right up to the ocean, and you step here, and you just look at the ocean and go, oh, man, I just love it. I love to swim in it. It's just so wonderful, but you never go in. But the day that you take the plunge, you see, and the water comes over top, now you're in the ocean of grace. What else, how else could you summarize it? Well, some people have said this, and it's such a great way of describing it. It's not that you, it's not, uh, baptism of the Holy Spirit is not whether you have the Holy Spirit. You do have the Holy Spirit. When you become a Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's a question of whether he has all of you. Ah, now we're getting somewhere. I would commend you to read uh, this book. It's a classic. It's a book called They Found the Secret. Get this book. It's actually free online. You can read the PDF of it or you can order it. They Found the Secret. These prominent Christian men and women, some of who didn't even believe or know about what I'm teaching you here today, years after their salvation, were baptized in the Holy Spirit, and all of them say their ministry was changed forever. So get that book, check it out, amazing stuff. Well, watch this, let's move on. So we can get to the dad part. Some of you, come on, it's like Father's Day, could you give me some father stuff and we'll, go, we'll do that. <laughs> and he went into the synagogue, oh, watch, watch. And when they had heard this, they were baptized, verse five. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, they spoke with tongues, and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months. Watch it. Here it comes again. Reasoning and persuading, concentrating the things of the, uh, or excuse me, concerning the things of the kingdom of God. He's reasoning and persuading. Now listen, you folks don't really have a synagogue or somewhere to go to, but why don't you just do what some of the people last week did? Why don't you go out of here today on Father's Day, you're watching golf, rooting for your favorite golfer, or whatever you're doing, and text somebody, Dad, and ask your wife first and say, we're going to invite somebody over from work or from soccer or from somewhere. Let's have them over this week. 
and we'll talk about the things of the Lord. You okay with that, honey? Yes, let's do it. Text them and get them there and then bring up the Lord or just listen to their story. Just listen to their story. Just have them come over and let them say their whole story and watch this. Eventually, they're going to come around and they're going to want to know your story. And now you got them. And you can give them your story. And off you go. You have a running dialogue where you're reasoning with some and persuading concerning the kingdom of God. But here's what I would suggest before you do that. Ask the Lord to overwhelm you or come upon you with his Holy Spirit and prepare you and fill you for that ministry. You see? Okay. Husbands, lead in that area. Fathers, lead in that area. But when some were hardened and didn't believe, what a fascinating Greek word. What a fascinating Greek word. And I hesitate to bring it up because I'm 56 years old and I don't want to think about it. That word is scleros. And if you're a nurse or a doctor, you probably know about this word because arterial sclerosis, hardening of the arteries, don't want to talk about it, don't want to, anyway. Uh, high, high, uh, uh, high blood pressure, uh, high cholesterol, it's hardening of the arteries. That's what this word is right here. These people, watch, it says it again, uh, these people were hardened and didn't believe. That's what happens to people's heart, but spoke evil of the way. That's how the early church was known. They were known by the way. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. They were known by the way. If you went to the Jesus Revolution movie, Calvary Chapel, they used to do this all the time. The one way, like one, but pointing up, right? And yes, but not just that, not just that. Listen, when people from outside the church look, hmm, and they're investigating, you want them to say things like this. There's just sort of a way about them. The way they love people. What? The way they prefer others and the interest of others over another. The way they serve. Woo. That's the way. And they were seeing this and hearing God's word Yes, they were speaking evil of them, but see, the church, the Christians were making an impact. The way before the multitude, he departed from them and he took out his disciples. Now watch this. And he reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus. What is the school of Tyrannus? We don't really know. We know this. It was some sort of hall. It is either that the guy who owned the hall was named Tyrannus or something like Tyrant. They just don't know, but he rented some hall. And in the ancient world, in Ephesus, here's what happened. The workday wasn't 9 to 5, 8 to 4.30. The workday was early in the morning, 7, whatever, to 11 o'clock. And then at 11 o'clock, everybody went home until 4 o'clock. And at 4 o'clock, they picked their work back up and went till 10 or so, and then they did it again. And I want you to see something. Most people believe, because Paul was a tent maker, I want you to see this. Paul would get up in the morning and make some tents. And if you know much about leather making back then, as Mark pointed out on Saturday to us, it was a stinky, smelly job. Bad job, tough job, hard job. And he was a tent maker. And he would do this, but his heart was to rush down to the school of Tyrannus. For two years, people. And what did he do? He taught people in the school from 11 to 4, guess what he did when he got done at 4? He didn't put his feet up. He went back to work. And he did this for two years. Can you? What a shepherd. 
working hard, wanting people to know. Don't you love it when you have a shepherd? Don't talk about me, but just think about somebody else. When you have a shepherd, a a pastor who you know wants you to know. That's so touching and encouraging. And Paul does. Here, he wants them to know. I'll work. I'll do whatever I have to do. Don't think about me. I'll come and we'll reason. And this continued for two years so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord uh, Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. Now, I ask you, right? Timothy, you want to go over there? I already mentioned it one time. Just go over to 2 Timothy. Go over there, 2 Timothy 2.2. Go over there. Paul's pattern. Speaking to his protege. Let's read verse 1, because I want you to know grace. You therefore, my son... Paul speaking to Timothy, be strong in the grace, the gift that is in Christ Jesus. We read about grace. It's in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses. Hey, Timothy, you watched how I ministered. I want you to first be solid in grace and Jesus. I want you to know Jesus in an intimate way through the grace of God. I want you to know him. And then secondly, The way that we ministry, our ministry style, what was his ministry style? Hard work. Graciousness. Merciful. Kind. He had tons of friends. Truthful. Corrective. Shepherd. Protective. That's Paul and more. I want you to emulate that ministry style, but here's what I want you to do, Paul. I want you to commit it to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. By the way, he goes on and say, you endure hardship, etc. In other words, it's not about you or me. It's about us moving out into the world and being able to do what? Have these unbelievable, uh, uh, miraculous experiences? Well, those are okay. But no, teaching people the word of God. That's what's first. So here he is, committing it to other people. And all around Asia, they heard it. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul. That's what happens when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. You say, well, okay, now you're going to go into tongues. Well, not just that. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen. Word of knowledge, word of wisdom, Prophecy, prophecy doesn't have to be foretelling. It can be just foretelling the word of God in somebody's life. Using scripture. Ever, anybody ever come to you and said, oh man, the Lord just laid it on my heart to say, draw near to God. He'll draw near to you. You go, whoa, I needed that today. Prophecy, there it is. It's, not, it's just supernaturally natural. But here he works unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out of them. Now you guys are all like, okay, here we go. We're going to get into the weird stuff. I want you to think about, you know the word here for aprons and, and, and uh, headband here, handkerchiefs? It's, it's the, listen, it's actually saying sweatband. It's the thing that he wore when he was working. Apparently, they were sneaking into his workshop and just taking the things. 
and people were getting healed. I mean, that's what it says, which is fascinating to me because they took note of how much Paul labored. What did he labor in? You read it. So that they would know Jesus Christ. And there were some sort of healings. And here you go. Well, that's strange. And I don't know if I want to dive into that or not. But see, you don't mind Mark chapter 5, verse 34. So let's go there. Mark chapter 5, sort of the same thing. Mark chapter 5, verse 34, it happened with Jesus. There was a certain woman, verse 25, who had a, flood, a flow of blood for 12 years. And when, verse 27, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I only may touch his clothes, she'll be made well. Isn't that sort of weird? Is just the aprons and handkerchief weird, or is this sort of weird? Yeah, they're both sort of weird. Immediately, the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body, and she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out, turned in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? But his disciples said to him, You see the multitude, and you say, Who touched me? Like you're ever going to figure this out. And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Watch this. This is the important part. And he said to her, daughter, by you touching my, the hem of my robe, you're made well. Nope. He does not say that. He says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. And the same thing is happening here. I don't know why. I don't know how exactly. But for some reason, sometimes, these things are a point of contact so that people will have faith. It's not the handkerchief. It's not the apron. It's not the hem of Jesus' robe, the hem. It's the power of Jesus that somehow comes to them as they have faith. Even in the weird story in Mark 5, Jesus said, it's your faith that makes you well. Why do you put oil on people? And pray for the sick. It's not the oil, folks, that have some magic elixir in there. It's what, it's what the Bible just commands you to do. And so you do it, and you have trust and faith. And the Bible says, if you have faith as a mustard seed, mountains will be moved. And that's what's happening here. But that's what accompanies baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not necessarily this stuff, but the miraculous happens. Things happen. Who's against that? Anyway, so then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. And if you read uh, Josephus, he says that these Jewish exorcists who went around to the churches and tried to rip them off, they tried to say, hey, oh, wait a minute, you gotta, you gotta, you're possessed? Hey, we got some people that can come over and take care of that for you. And Josephus tells us that they would invoke the name of Solomon. That's weird. So here, I want you to see something. Everybody, if you're in the camp that doesn't believe in these miracles and these gifts, or if you're in the camp that is over here, I want you to see that there's the real thing, but there's also fake. 
right here in the book of Acts. So don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Just because there's people who take advantage and are fake doesn't mean it's not real. That's what this is saying. But when you don't have a relationship with Jesus, when you're just doing it to rip people off, and there are people in the church who do that, lots of people, gives this all a bad name. Well, that's not a good place to be, because watch this. We exercise you, they go, oh, we exercise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Maybe if we just sort of rub something or say a certain name. We don't have a relationship with Jesus, but let's just throw out his name and see how that works. And it says also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did this. And some people believe those seven sons and the itinerant Jewish exorcists are one and the same, whatever. The evil spirit answered. Can you imagine this? This would be a little unnerving. <laughs> oh, good. Me and Dom think it's funny, and I do too. I think that's funny. Can you imagine faking it at, down at the old synagogue, faking it and trying to, you know, you got your robes on and you got the fancy rings and the cool tennis shoes that are like 2000 bucks and the amazing wristwatch and you got the car and everything and you're strutting around the, 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 the stage and doing all that sort of thing. And you say, oh, in Solomon's name, I say, come out. Oh, that didn't work. In Jesus' name, come out of them. And all of a sudden, you hear this awful voice send shivers down their spines. And he, they say this, wait a second. This Jesus, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. But who are you? Whew. That would be a little unnerving. And any time we operate in this realm, listen, you better be careful. You don't go and meet evil spirits in your own strength and power apart from Jesus. No, Jesus is the one. But they do it. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Boom. He will destroy you. I want you to see something else. Evil spirits knew Jesus. They didn't want anything to do with Jesus. They knew Paul. Paul was going around the whole known world and getting people trained up in the word of God. So watch that they could go and share the gospel so that God himself by the Holy Spirit could pull people out of the kingdom of darkness and put them into the kingdom of love. That was his whole life. And the demons knew him. He was making a difference for the kingdom. And that's important. They didn't know the seven sons of Sceva. They were chief priests. They were religious people. You getting that? You can be religious all you want. And your life matters not, maybe. Lord, help us if that's true. But for the ones who are living the gospel and loving on people and sharing the gospel, you have a target on your back. 
You get it? And I would say this. Here comes my Father's Day little spiel. Fathers, what are you leading your family into? Are you leading them for eternal things? Are you leading them into your little kingdom or big kingdom? That none of it matters. And when you die and they die, just sort of, nah. Fathers, with the help of moms, sure, of course, make sure that where you're leading your family is to in the importance of serving and loving and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with other people. Take them along with you. Make sure they know it. It's not something that's fake and phony like these religious people. No, it's deep. And it's just what it is in life. That's how you guys live. That's what your family's about. And then what I would say is, Gird them up with the armor of God every day. Pray for them and pray for yourself that you would have shields of faith and breastplates of righteousness and the gospel on your feet and the sword of the Spirit so that you could be offensive and all the rest of the armor battlements so that your kids and you will be fighting on God's side. So that if we could ask the spirit world, maybe you say you don't want them to know your name. <laughs> but look what happened to the people who there was no name of. They got beat up and tossed out. And this became known, verse 17, to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all. And the, watch this. Is this crazy or what? And the name of the Lord Jesus was made big, magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. I know, we got to go. But I want you to see what happens to people who really give their life to the Lord. They're great confessors. They don't hide things. You see this? There's repentance there's a laying down of the life. There's a change in the life. You're saved and then there's a change. In fact, in this case, in Ephesus, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. What an amazing... This isn't a book burning, folks. This is no book burning. We wouldn't want a book burning. This is the spells and incantations with they were their families were involved in witchcraft. And they're pouring them into the fire to destroy them and get rid of them. By the way, if you have stuff in your life that's no good for you, don't take it down to goodwill and sell it. Get rid of it, just like them. And they brought their books, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver, most people estimated somewhere between one to five million dollars at the time. Watch this. 
This is what we need. This is what happens when people are overwhelmed with the Spirit and have the fullness of the Spirit. The Spirit comes in so lovingly and gently and you recognize His presence in deeper ways. You recognize His love in deeper ways. You just don't go on and on and on with your life. You look around your life as the Holy Spirit shines light upon the, the, the dark recesses of your heart or even the plain recesses of your heart, the open places, and He says, man, you... You want to serve the Lord in deeper ways and have communion in deeper ways? Let's get rid of this. And I would say the books of this world are our cell phones. That's what I would say. Most men won't acknowledge it, but they're lying. They're lying. You can say whatever, but what is the Lord calling you to do? me to do to get out of my life why watch look at the punchline here you have these open clean vessels and the word of the lord grew mightily but didn't just grow mightily prevail <laughs> it goes on to say here in chapter 19 just quickly that there was a riot in ephesus because all these people getting saved and repenting and throwing their, uh, getting rid of the bad things in their life that were harmful to their relationship with the Lord. Watch. It became so prevalent that the trade, the blacksmiths in the city were losing money who made the idols. And there become a riot in Ephesus over this. And what I would say is, oh boy, am I going to hear about it on this one. Folks, you can't legislate morality. You just can't. Am I for politics and government? I want to be informed. I want to vote for the godly people, yes. But you know what I'm putting my money on? God's spirit. And here's what impacts a community. Is when people get saved and they're born again and they give up the things that are abhorrent to the Lord. And then a whole culture gets changed and impacted through it. Now, there's a guy named Charles Finney. He was a lawyer, New York State, early 1800s. He was a lawyer, and he describes his salvation experience and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he went out into the upper parts of New York State around 1820s, 1830s. Now, watch this. In an 1830 and 1831 in Rochester, New York, through Finney and his ministry, a revival broke out. And when you read about that revival, he didn't go down to the bars and the houses of ill repute and the drug houses and uh, preach to them about the ills of what they were doing. He preached the gospel of Jesus Christ under the influence of the power of the Holy Spirit and people started to get saved in 1830 and 1831 in upstate New York, over 100,000 people got saved in what began the Second Great Awakening. And what happened was, you can read about it, I won't do it now because you want to go home and you're hot, is all the bars started to close. All the houses of ill repute started to close. It just dried up because people were repenting and there was no business for it. Oh my goodness. You talk about something that could happen right here. If we really took 
the word seriously, and you do. I know you do. The whole of southwestern PA could be turned up on its ear. Let's pray. Well, Lord, we uh, thank you for this and this great word. And uh, I just pray, Lord, that you would help us. Help us to be spiritual dads, fathers. Help us to be leaders. Help us to be awesome women in the Lord who are mentoring youngers, all of us. We're mentoring people. We're discipling people. Help us to recognize it's not just one person or one, two people's show, but it's all of us together desiring the things that you have for us, Lord, and sharing it with a hurting and dying world. Help us in these areas. In Jesus' name, amen.